Trigger warning, you're about to listen to the American Christian Thinker. Trigger warning. Anybody who can't handle adult conversations, topics, this is your trigger warning that we are giving you right now. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. You are about to be triggered. Give me a joke. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm literally about to fucking kill myself and I'm not kidding. You better fucking fix this shit right now. I literally am going to die. I need an ambulance. Welcome to the American Christian Thinker. I am so sorry to my world. I am so sorry to my world. This is not what we want. Trigger warning, you're about to listen to the American Christian Thinker. Trigger warning. There's so much potential um, for beauty and for devastation. In this one moment, it's just almost incomprehensible that they can exist right now. So, so close. Welcome to the American Christian Thinker. Welcome to the American Christian Thinker Podcast, brought to you by The Theology Pit. As Christians, we're called to act and not just sit back. We confront the culture head-on, dealing with social justice warriors, atheists, anti-Christians, cults, and religions. All and any topics will be socially driven. What trends publicly will get attended to publicly. Now, here's your host, Samson Kovac. everyone welcome back to another act that's right the american christian thinker thank you for listening to these podcasts please share them with your friends like us on facebook the american christian thinker um send a note on um itunes leave a review um give us a, a rating on itunes help us out here a little bit so we're up to our final democrat president that we've had in the history of the united states number 15 himself barack hussein obama or Barry Satoro or Sotoro, however you say his last name. I don't know, whatever alias he's using at the time. It's kind of hard to figure it out. But Barack Hussein Obama, who had a apostate Muslim father, was um, a Muslim sympathizer, was probably a nominal Muslim, but never officially declared it. The only uh, contact with Christianity he had through his life was through um, Reverend Wright's church, which is a uh, Afrocentric uh, theologically, um, uh, quote unquote, Christian church. And even he couldn't really say whether Obama was a Christian or not. Doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, it doesn't matter what you are, as long as you are a, um, hold of the constitution to be in the presidency. Um, it's better, uh, from you know, my standpoint, if somebody who is a um, Christian is in there that will actually follow those tenets because um, Christianity is a very good uh, infrastructure in self-governance. Um, when you read the federal papers, Federalist Papers, that's why they talk about us being a Christian nation. And we'll do a podcast on why America is considered a Christian nation. But I want to finish up this here. The most recent president, Barack Obama, in what was supposed to be a historic moment for the nation that used to have blacks in the chains of slavery, Barack Obama became the first black president. 
Unfortunately, his legacy has much to be desired in the matter of race. He has spent his entire presidency interjecting himself into local issues, demonizing the police force, continuously stating how African Americans cannot succeed without the government, and instilling multiple programs to bolster that thought process. Again, if you remember from the last podcast what we played about what the Clintons did, and what Carter did before them and LBJ. And you have this entire snowball thing of everything that's wrong and it all went to crap. And, you know, liberals can never admit that what they're doing is wrong. They just don't think they've done enough of it yet or thrown enough money at it yet. And so they can't admit that their policies are wrong and their policies are what's keeping the black community in the place that it's in right now. So, of course, Barack Obama blames everyone, you know, but himself and but his party. Um The president that was supposed to show that racism is dead in America has done more to set race relations in this country back than both Lyndon Johnson and Andrew Johnson combined. Optimists hoped Obama would usher in a new age of racial harmony. Pessimists feared a surge in racial strife. Unfortunately, the pessimists were correct. Multiple race riots, dead police officers, terrorist attacks, mass shootings, and an extremely disappointed African-American community is all that Obama has for a legacy. A lot of these attacks that can be um, read about were recorded by Colin Flaherty in a couple of his books. The first one is called White Girl Bleed a Lot, and the other one is called Don't Make the Black Kids Angry, and it shows how... Um, uh, disproportional black-on-white crime is and how the media not only condones it but also works to cover it up. The Obama presidency has played out as a cruel joke on members of the African-American community who, despite providing indispensable votes, critical support, and unstinting loyalty, find themselves largely shut out from the nation's great, the nation's post-recession economic recovery. Blacks have traded away substantive policy demands for the largely symbolic, psychological, and emotional victory of having a black president and first family in the White House for eight years. And it's not that people didn't want a black man in the White House. Particularly, conservatives didn't want that black man in the White House. They did not want a communist street agitator, a Marxist. They didn't want someone who was married to a woman who said that, you know, she can finally, now, be proud of her country because her husband was elected. And, you know, people try to say, like, Obama had such a horrible time. The media was never bad to him. I mean, they talked about, like, tingling that they got up his legs. They were they were overtly racist to him, you know, as, as a whole, with uh, quotes that other people have played of Joe Biden say, man, this guy is like a fairy tale. I mean, he he's articulate, meaning he can talk. He's clean, because I guess black people aren't clean. Um, you had news reporters saying that they hear him speak and they get a tingle up their leg and, and you know, they forget for a while that he was black. As though black people can't speak, as though they can't, you know, invoke any type of passion. It's ridiculous. But people completely worshipped Barack Obama. They looked at him as a messiah. Now, whenever you've destroyed families, whenever you're on the liberal plantation, whenever you're liberal yourself and you are a godless atheist that worships the state, your messiah figure comes in the form of a president. And Barack Obama was that messiah figure. And whether he had a messiah complex or just played up the messiah complex to all the followers, people worshipped this man. Children sang songs to him. They took songs that were 
Christian songs, singing praises to Yahweh, singing praises to Jesus, and they would change the lyrics in order to sing praises to uh, Barack Obama. I mean, if you don't believe me, take a listen to um, you know, some of these school children that are singing their praises to Barack Take that Obama. On to time hearing what those lyrics were it was the refrain of course mm, 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 Barack Hussein Obama and then the lyrics are he said that I almost lend a hand to make this country strong again mm, 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 Barack Hussein Obama he said we must be fair today equal work means equal pay which is funny because the only place where the concept of a woman making 70 cents on the dollar is was in the Obama administration in his White House. Democrats historically always pay women less than they pay men. He said we must take a stand to make sure everyone gets a chance. Now, in America, everyone does have a chance. Everyone has equal opportunity. They don't have equal outcomes, and that's what they want. And usually the easiest way, it's difficult to make people rich. It's difficult to make them make more money. It's a lot easier to make everybody poor. And that's what socialism does. Everybody be equal because everyone's poor. And then the next one is the one that's most concerning to me. He said, red, yellow, black, or white, all are equal in his sight. Mm -mm -mm, Barack Hussein Obama. Now, does that ring a bell to anyone? Um, how about the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children? Jesus loves the little children. They're taking a song that was that kids sing about how Jesus loves them and injects Obama into it. So these kids are associated if they're singing this particular song, if they know this in church, they're now associating this song with the Messiah, Barack Obama. Okay. Now they go on to the second uh, song here.
And this is really sad because what they did is they took the Christian song, the American Christian song, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. It's very concerning because this is the type of stuff that dictators do. This is the type of stuff that you find in like North Korea where children are singing praises to their leaders and, you know, all, all the, oops, bumped it. Sorry about that. Um, that, you know, they do this type of worship thing. They worship the state and they worship the leader of the state. Even the lyrics for that second song say, hello, Mr. President, we honor you today for all your great accomplishments. We all doth say hooray. Um, and this was uploaded September 25th, 2009. So he had had eight months of you know, accomplishments, whatever they were. His biggest accomplishment is just being black. That's about it. And half black. Um, uh, hooray, Mr. President, you're number one, the first black American to lead this great nation. Hooray, Mr. President, we honor your great plans to make this country's economy number one again. Hooray, Mr. President, we're really proud of you. We all stand f- we stand for all Americans under the great red, white, and blue. So continue, Mr. President. We know you'll do the trick. So here's a hearty hip hip hooray. I guess Mr. President. Hip, hip, hooray, hip, hip, hooray. And, you know, under Barack Obama, the credit rating of the United States went from a triple A score to a double A score. Uh, We're actually worse now than we were before he uh, took office. But the battle hymn of the Republic, um, glory, glory, hallelujah. You know, my my eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. I mean, it's all about, you know, the return of Christ. And, you know, I mean, it's this is a a horrendous thing and you know you would go uh, okay president trump just had a um uh, a speech in florida the other day and um you know he called on somebody to you know come up on stage and talk on his behalf or whatever and this is the difference between um you know communists like the liberal democrats and uh people who are uh conservatives or are actually americans listen to the response of this man speaking to the president. Oh, there's such a blessing to see you, Mr. President. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Oh, gracious God, thank you so much. Uh, wait, sorry, this is Obama. All right, what, what's, what's the question? All right, Mr. President. My, my, <laughs> my name is Julio Asagueda. I'm currently a student at Edison State College in my second semester. And, okay, I've been at the same job, which is McDonald's, for four and a half years because of the fact that I can't find another job. Now, with the fact that I've been there for as long as I've been there, do you have any plan or any idea of making one that has been there for a long time receive any better benefits than what they've already received? Well, I t- let me try to translate what this moron just said. Excuse me, Mr. President, is it possible for you to come in and take over a private corporation in order for you to give me more benefits and everything because I'm in my second semester, which means freshman year, of probably some community college somewhere. 
somewhere. I forget what college he said. I don't, I don't want to. Maybe he's actually in a legit college. But it's funny because at the end of the video, I asked him, what are you going for? And he said, well, something in like broadcast or, you know, um, uh, you know, calling uh, baseball games or like whatever and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, you don't have a radio voice. You, you, you have no cadence. You have no you can't speak like nobody's going to hire you. If you if you talk like that, but I mean the way that this man treats uh, Obama is so absolutely different and 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 just crazy. Here is what happened at President Trump's uh, press conference. Don't worry about him. No 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 no. Come here. They're gonna throw. Come on up. Come on. Come here. Come on. No, he's giving him a hug. This guy. So he's been all over television saying the best things. And I see him standing. And didn't you get here like at four in the morning? Say a couple of words to this crowd. He's trying to compose himself because he's meeting the president. Mr. President, thank you, sir. We the people, our movement is the reason why our president of the United States is standing here in front of us today. See, he's talking about we the people. He's not worshiping Trump. When President Trump, during, during their election, promised all these things that he was going to do for us, I knew he was going to do this for us. Thank you, Mr. President. Oh, Mr. President, thank you so much, sir. Now, in this video... A star is born. President Trump... A star Trump. is born is embracing this man, gives him a hug, shakes his hand, thanks him for supporting him. Barack Obama despised the American people. They were useful idiots to him. And you'll never hear that chant at any of the Obama things, unless it was in jest. I wouldn't say that Secret Service was thrilled with that. But we know our people, right? We know our people. And that was just a fantastic moment. Now, the Democrat Party, they hate people. They hate Israel. They hate Jerusalem. They hate God. And we know this for a fact from their party platform. During the 2012 election, whenever they were nominating or renominating uh, Barack Hussein Obama mm, 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 to be uh, their candidate um, to run on the Democrat ticket, they were amending the party's platform to, um, you know, add in uh, Jerusalem, add in uh, Israel, I guess Jerusalem as the, the capital of Israel, and also to restore the word God back into their platform to say that God is part of their platform. And in order to do this, they had to do it through a, um, a vote uh, that was taking place at, um, at the convention. All of the delegates had to vote on this by voice. And just listen to what happens. Criticism. And watch what happened. Is there any further discussion? Hearing none, the matter requires a two-thirds vote in the affirmative. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed, say no. In the opinion of the, let me do that again. All of those delegates in favor, say aye. All those delegates opposed, say no. 
see the look on people's faces. I, um, I guess. Now, Democrats don't care about their rules. They don't care about the rule of law. They do whatever they want. Got to let them do what they're going to do. Rules I'll do that one more time. All those delegates in favor say aye. Now let's hear the nose. All those delegates opposed say no. No, standing up and screaming. In the opinion of the chair, no. two-thirds have voted in the affirmative. The motion is adopted, and the platform has been amended, as shown on the screen. Two-thirds. Some questions, I suppose, about whether they really got the two-thirds majority they needed. You heard the audio. But for now, the platform has changed. And a senior campaign official now confirms to Fox News that President Obama personally got involved to make all this happen. John oh, isn't that great? So Obama sticks his nose in, of course, in in everything because they don't care about the rule of law. They don't they, they really don't care about uh, much of anything. Now, um, I want to finish this up right now with a speech that was given by um, Representative Alan West um, uh, commemorating Black History Month and talking about the truth about Republicans. This was uploaded to YouTube February 6, 2012. I'm not sure when he gave it, but it was during uh, the Obama presidency. This is rather lengthy. It's uh, 16 and a half minutes, and I think that it is most definitely worth listening to. The gentleman from Florida, Mr. West, for 30 minutes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I ask for unanimous consent to revise and extend my remarks. Without objection. Mr. Speaker, in commemoration of Black History Month, I rise to acknowledge the Republican Party's proud and storied history of standing up for the rights of African Americans. The first black members of Congress served during Reconstruction, and they were all Republicans. They won their seats despite fierce threats of violence against black voters by groups like the Ku Klux Klan and were successful only as a result of the firm support they received from the Republican Party. One of these members was Josiah T. Walls, a slave who earned his freedom through service to the Union in the Civil War. He settled in Alachua County in our sunny state of Florida and was repeatedly elected to Congress at large. In some ways, Mr. Speaker, I carry the torch of Josiah Walls. You see, in 1876, the Democrats contested his election and had him replaced midterm with one of their own. No black Republican would again be elected from Florida to this House until November the 2nd of 2010, when the voters of that state entrusted me to be their representative. On my desk in my office, there was a book called Capital Men, and it's a biography of those first black members of Congress. I stand where Josiah Walls and the other early black Republican members of Congress once stood, Hiram Revels of Mississippi, Benjamin Turner of Alabama, Jefferson Long of Georgia, Robert DeLarge, Robert Brown Ellicott, and Joseph Rainey, all of South, Florida, of South Carolina. They were the ones who carried that first torch for my colleague, Tim Scott. They would have stood here urging support for policies of equal opportunity for all. Mr. Speaker, I stand here this evening to recognize their legacy. The Republican Party has always been the party of freedom. Today, we understand that our principles are best served when we act as stalwart advocates of free markets. But historically, Republicans understood that the value of every human life 
is diminished when any human life is made to work against its will. Free markets are characterized by the free exchange of goods and services and by the free exchange of labor for compensation. See, Mr. Speaker, without free people, there can be no free markets. Where men are not free, freedom does not reign. And so the Republicans have always been the party of free men, of individual freedom. It was Abraham Lincoln, the president, the father of the grand old party, who signed the Emancipation Proclamation and brought about the freeing of the slaves. For many, this is the beginning and the end of the Republican Party's role in advancing equal rights. But that understanding misses the myriad ways our party went on to better the lives of black Americans and cheapens the many contributions that later generations of Republicans made to the cause of freedom. It was, in fact, Republicans of their day who worked to pass the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th Amendments, securing for African Americans deliverance from slavery, equal protection under the law, and the right to vote. Each of these accomplishments did its part to cement the fundamental freedoms all Americans enjoy today. None of them could have gotten off the ground without GOP support. Take the 13th Amendment, for example. At Abraham Lincoln's request, the Republican National Committee Chairman Edwin Morgan made abolishing slavery an official part of the party's platform in 1864. At that year's National Convention, he opened with a statement on the topic. He said, the party of which you, gentlemen, are the delegated and honored representatives will fall far short of accomplishing its great mission unless among its other resolves it shall declare for such an amendment to the Constitution as will positively prohibit African slavery in the United States. The 14th Amendment was no different. A little known fact about that law that granted black American citizenship with all the rights and privileges thereof is that every vote in favor was cast by a Republican and every vote against was cast by a Democrat. And in 1968, when the Democrat-controlled legislature of New Jersey voted to rescind its ratification of the 14th Amendment, it was the state's Republican governor who vetoed that attempt. Mr. Speaker, it was the Republican-controlled 39th Congress that established the Buffalo Soldiers, a fighting force of six regiments of black American troops they would soon become known for exhibiting the courage of a cornered buffalo in battle while posted to the frontier. In peacetime, they gained renown for being the finest horsemen the Army had to offer. And in 1907, the 10th Cavalry Regiment of the Buffalo Soldiers was sent to the United States Military Academy at West Point to teach the cadets riding skills and mounted drill. Mr. Speaker, think about that for a second. The commanders of that day, so confident in the ability of the Buffalo Soldiers that they entrusted them with the training of the next generation of Army leaders. And it was the Republicans who made that happen. It was the Republicans who passed the 15th Amendment as well. For once, the story is true that not every Republican supported it. A few abstained, saying the measure 
go far enough. It was the Democrats who voted against the 15th Amendment. And when it passed anyway, it was the Democrats who resorted to the use of poll taxes, literacy tests, intimidation, and other pernicious practices in an effort to keep black Americans from exercising their right to vote. And this was something that my grandparents and my parents experienced growing up in South Georgia. It was a Republican by the name of Senator Charles Sumner who got the Equal Rights Movement on its feet, a fierce abolitionist and leader of the radical Republicans. Sounds very familiar when they start talking about Tea Party Republicans. Senator Sumner wrote and shepherded the first ever civil rights bill through Congress. It was a Republican president and the great general Ulysses S. Grant who signed it into law the same day that it passed. In that comprehensive bill, the Civil Rights Act of 1875 would become the blueprint for every subsequent piece of civil rights legislation to come before Congress, despite the fact that it was struck down by a backward-looking court. It was the Republicans who first called for racial justice in the armed forces, not only allowing black Americans to serve their country, but welcoming them to serve their country alongside their white brothers. It was a Republican judge named Elbert Tuttle who time and again ruled in favor of civil rights and who went on to order the University of Mississippi to admit its first ever black college student. It was a Republican Supreme Court justice who authored the decision in Brown versus the Board of Education that recognized racial segregation for what it was, a violation of the United States Constitution. And when a school district in Arkansas refused to integrate, it was a Republican president in Dwight David Eisenhower who sent in the 101st Airborne Division to escort the Little Rock Nine to class. However, it was a Democrat governor in Orville Faubus, you may recall, who had tried to use his National Guardsmen to prevent them from enrolling. Mr. Speaker, Republicans were unfazed by the many Democrats, including John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, who criticized President Eisenhower's decision. Meanwhile, it was the Democrats in the Senate who filibustered the first Civil Rights Act of the 20th century and the Republicans who managed to pass it nonetheless. The law established a Civil Rights Division within the Justice Department and authored, authorized the Attorney General to request injunctions against anyone attempting to deny a person's right to vote. It was written at the behest of President Eisenhower after a long drought of civil rights bills under Presidents Franklin Delano Roosevelt and President Harry Truman. It was a Senate Minority Leader, Everett Dirksen, a Republican, who helped write the first Civil Rights Act of 1964, widely regarded as the most influential of them all. And in recent years, it's been the Republican Party that has fought to prevent African Americans from being trapped in a permanent underclass through dependence on government handouts. In the 1990s, it was the Republican-controlled 104th Congress that passed the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Act. 
then democrat president bill clinton signed it only after reluctantly having voted vetoed it twice this reform changed the face of welfare ensuring that recipients who were able to work would be required to seek employment no longer would government checks be seen as an entitlement no longer would states have a financial incentive to add as many names to their welfare roles as possible. Finally, there was an alternative to the cycle of poverty caused by years of misguided Democrat policy. And it's been Republicans who have continued to fight for the underprivileged communities, even as we're painted as the party of the white upper class. In 2004, another Republican-controlled Congress under the leadership of Republican President George W. Bush signed an omnibus bill that included a voucher program for school children right here in the District of Columbia. Instead of being shackled to the failed public school system, thousands of students were able to use the first federal government vouchers to escape to high-performing private schools. Mr. Speaker, what Republicans have long understood is that poor communities are best served when they're empowered to care for themselves. The more they come to rely on government checks, the less they learn to rely on their own ability and ingenuity. Our party firmly believes in the safety net. We reject the idea of the safety net becoming a hammock. For this reason, the Republican value of minimizing government dependence is particularly beneficial to the poorest among us. Conversely, the democratic appetite for ever-increasing redistributionary handouts is in fact the most insidious form of slavery remaining in the world today, and it does not promote economic freedom. Time after time, the GOP has stood strong as leaders on issues of conscience, even when the positions we've taken have been unpopular. We've held the line and ultimately brought about liberty and justice for all. From eliminating slavery to securing full citizenship and voting rights for African Americans to calling for desegregation even in the most hostile bastions of the Deep South to implementing school choice in poor communities to helping black families break out of the cycle of welfare dependence. Mr. Speaker, Republicans have been on the front lines of the fight for equal rights and individual manifest destiny since our party's founding under Lincoln. So too has the party led on issues like reducing the size of government, streamlining the federal bureaucracy, and returning power to the states. These positions didn't always garner the most popular support at the time, it's easier to convince a person that a government should be doing something for them it currently isn't than to convince a person government shouldn't be doing something for them it currently is. But real visionary leaders don't retreat from fights. It is said that one evening as George Washington sat at his table after dinner, the fire behind him flared up, leading him to move his chair away so as not to end up getting burned. When someone called George Washington out, saying a general ought to be able to stand the fire, he responded that no general should ever be taking fire 
from behind. That is the essence of integrity and conviction, the willingness to stand for what you believe at all times, alone if need be. Without the option of retreat, no matter how tough the slog ahead may be, and to do so with the faith that eventually it is possible to transform a losing fight into a winning one. For inspiration, we need only to look to the former slave and Republican, Frederick Douglass. Having found his way to freedom through education and hard work, he could have been forgiven for retiring from the public eye, but he didn't back down from the work still to be done. Instead, he made himself one of the most stalwart champions of not just the anti-slavery movement, but the women's rights movement as well. He wasn't content to lend his political capital to causes that would benefit him. He knew what we know, that injustice anywhere is an affront to the human spirit. To free African Americans from the bonds of slavery was only the first step for Frederick Douglass, and we will not be satisfied until he helped liberate women from the bonds of misogyny as well. In those days, Douglas could count on the Republican Party to be his ally in the fight. Today, we remain no less dedicated to the cause of freedom. So therefore, Mr. Speaker, with a core belief in the supremacy and the sovereignty of the individual and the unconditional dignity of every human life, the Republican Party is, always has been, and forever shall be the party of equality of opportunity. Happy Black History Month. Thank you. And Mr. Speaker, I yield back. Amen. In conclusion, let's go over some quick facts and talking points. Fact, the Republican Party was founded primarily to oppose slavery, and Republicans eventually abolished slavery. The Democrat Party fought them and tried to maintain and expand slavery. Fact, the Civil War era, the radical Republicans were given that name because they wanted to not only end slavery, but to endow the free slaves with full citizenship, equality, and rights. Fact, the Ku Klux Klan was originally and primarily an arm of the Southern Democratic Party. Its mission was to terrorize free slaves and N-word loving, their words, Republicans who sympathized with them. Fact. Contrary to popular misconception, the parties never switched on racism. The Democrats just switched from overt racism to subversive strategy of getting blacks as dependent as possible on government to secure their votes. At the same time, they began a cynical smear campaign to label anyone who opposes their devious strategies as greedy racists. So the next time a liberal tries to tell you that Republicans are racist or that Democrats have done many positive things to help the black community in this country, just refer them to some actual history. Knowledge is power. History matters. Knowledge of history is just as important as current events, especially when history just continuously repeats itself. To understand history, to remain current, and to utilize common sense is vital for the future of the American people. Also, I wanted to kind of point out here with um, what uh, Alan, Representative Allen West said there. 
um, about the voucher program for inner city, inner city kids that they can now, you know, go to the private schools of their choice. Yeah, Obama and the Democrats pulled that back. That's no longer true today. It was for a little bit. The Republicans got that through, but they were able to get it pulled back. So African-Americans and all other minorities should never vote for the Democratic Party. It's just common sense. And this has been today's act. Mm-hmm.